If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Nurse Wellness Podcast, hosted by Wendy Garvin Mayo, focuses on the power of stress management and how it's foundational to being your best, doing your best, and giving your best. There's a wonderful episode that you should check out called Letting Go, where Wendy Garvin Mayo shares six strategies to release control and manage stress effectively. Check out Nurse Wellness Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. How are you doing, my friends? I hope you're finding some time and space for what's important this week. Today, I've got my third installment of this series of nutrition-related topics with Kathy Biase, a nutritionist, cancer coach, and the host of the Health Hub radio show. We're going to be talking not just about nutrition, but about daily wellness habits, cancer prevention, and recovery. If this is your first time listening to the show, I want to welcome you. Highway to Health is a place for you to explore and create your own blueprint for health. As we discussed in this episode, the bodies we inhabit come from different places in the world, with different genetic lines and family stories. There is no one formula for health. But there are some pieces that we know can significantly improve our health state and increase our resistance to, to disease. And we'll be digging into this in this conversation you're about to hear. Having worked in integrative health for more than 20 years, I'm acutely aware of how all aspects of our world come to have an effect on our state of well-being. And it is my hope that through the conversations here on the podcast, you might be able to navigate it with greater ease, make more informed decisions, and live the kind of life that you strive for. And before we get going here, I want to say a quick thank you to the new supporters of the podcast and to all of you who have contributed through the years uh, making donations to this podcast. Your dollars are incredibly important for helping this community grow. And if you like the resource you're getting here and want to show your support, it's very easy and you can become a supporter for as little as $1 a month. Just go over to patreon.com forward slash highway to health. And I promise to keep bringing you the same amazing guests and resource you've been getting here for the past three years. In fact, starting later this week, the podcast will have a new series of mini episodes called Two Minute Tune-Ups. If you haven't subscribed yet, this would be a good time to pause and do so so that you hear this first installment as soon as it goes live. Sometimes it's nice to get lost in listening to some really engaged conversation about a topic you're interested in. But if you're like me, there are also times when you just want the facts. These short pieces will be an easy way to get simple but thorough reminders about how to keep you tuned in and tuned up. Also, you can now listen to Highway to Health episodes on highwaytohealthpodcast.com, and you can connect with me any anytime uh, there personally through the contact form right on the front page. I'm also working hard on getting guest contributors up the, for this upcoming year, so you can explore the site and get real information without wondering if it's clickbait. And there will be content there that you won't see anywhere else. So keep checking in at highwaytohealthpodcast.com for updates. So my guest for today, Kathy Biase, is a holistic nutritionist and cancer coach. She's also the host of The Health Hub, a talk show on Radio Maria Canada. Uh, Kathy happens to be a cancer survivor herself and started her work as a cancer coach after her own experience and her recovery from it. Uh, through it, she realized the true need for support often missing when families are going through a health crisis of this nature. With a background in psychology, she brings a lot to the conversation about how we can provide better support, not just to cancer patients, but to their spouses and families as well, and to educate them about the dynamic aspects of recovery and prevention, as well as be there for mental, emotional, and spiritual support as needed during these challenging times. There's some great info in this one and a lot to ponder. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Kathy Biase.
you and I kind of have an interesting similarity in some of the things that we've been doing because you've you've kind of gotten into this integrative health field where you didn't exactly plan on doing this as your as your work. No, I did, and I sort of backdoored into it when I got sick myself. Yeah, which is I feel like it's the it's the thing that happens to a lot of us. I ended up in an integrative health field because of a back problem that I had. And was trying to solve my own problems. So, and then in doing yeah. so, you know, I mean, there's, there's, a, especially in, you know, once you get outside of allopathic care, there are certain things that, you know, just aren't as available to you, and you don't, you, you really have to do your own research. Well, the reason, um, you know, for me, I, I did when I uh, got my cancer diagnosis, uh, I did what you know, ninety, I don't even know the percentage, ninety to ninety-five people do, is, and I went and saw the doctors and the oncologists. Mm-hmm. And was very happy with that process, but I was extremely fortunate to, um, I had just joined a small boutique gym and they really, there were three of them that really supported me on different areas in lifestyle and nutrition to support my allopathic treatments. And I think, and, and that's what I want to do. That's what yeah. I wanted to do. And I, you know, the thing that impacted me so much is when I went to, you know, for my treatments or appointments, I had to line up, like literally there was a key and, you know, I saw women there with their kids, you know, having to do the chemotherapy with their children. And, and that was the first thing that was like, you know, this, I want to do something. I think especially people who have had cancer, I think a lot of us um, who have survived it want to do something because of the huge emotional impact that this disease takes on you and your your loved ones. And I think, um, you know, being grateful for, for having great uh, support, a lot of us who have made it through, you'll see people everywhere who have been through cancer and really just want to give back, you know, just really... Uh, support other people who may not have emotional support or have the knowledge of looking outside the allopathic field and supporting the actual treatments. I'm not about not doing allopathic care. I'm about supporting the protocols that uh, people choose and really trying to get people to look inward and, you know, maybe asking pertinent questions that they never thought to ask. But then once, once that decision is made, I think it's so important to believe in their decision. And, you know, I I am a nutritionist, um, but what I do in the cancer care field goes far beyond just, you know, what somebody eats. And, um, and I think that that's missing. And I think people are afraid. People are afraid about the word and people are afraid to go into the cancer sphere of healthcare. I think. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, and understandably so. Yeah. It's a scary place to be. Yeah. I've, I've been through it twice with my best friend. Um, mm-hmm. Just happened again this summer with an oral cancer. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, he seems to be doing well. But this one was a more invasive surgery. And, you know, each, each, each one of those you know, times has been, has come with a whole host of different things. And, and sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you need a, a, a group of people to sort of bounce things off of, or, you know, each, each relationship you have in your, in your, you know, care team, people are going to respond to you in, in different kinds of ways. You're going to, you're going to be able to sort of express different kinds of things to each of them. And, and, and you, you are, you yeah. are. And you, I, I was, I was kind of surprised in my own uh, journey who, who was there standing up for me and who just couldn't come along for the ride, you know, and it's, it was, 
it was a little knee jerking at first, but then, you know, I, I began to understand why. Um, and you can't come out of anything like this with bad feelings. You just have to take who your people are and you may have to make a decision who your tribe is. Um, but, um, yeah, there's, there's so much to, uh, to, to getting through a cancer diagnosis. So, so what kinds of things you, I mean, you have, so you have this background in nutrition, um, and, and maybe we'll, we'll get to that, but tell me a little bit more about what you, what you feel like your role is in terms of, in terms of coaching and in terms of support. Um, well, nutrition is what people, this is the first thing that usually brings them to me. Um, because that's the title that I have and cancer coach is not something that is well known. Um, when people come and sit in front of me, there are, you know, I have a quite a spectrum of people, people who are um, very well researched. You know, I will have people that come in and their diet is quite pristine. And, uh, you know, when I first started out doing nutrition, I, you know, I, I thought, what am I going to do to help these people? Mm-hmm. Um, but as I started to broaden, you know, talking to cancer patients and seeing you know, characteristics of those who are more um, inclined to be able to get through their treatments well versus those who are not. It's it's such an intrinsic belief that the body can heal. You must have that what you have chosen to do is the right thing for you. And then what I do is I help them where I see, you know, they're sitting in front of me. Um, I'll get some very spiritual people and I don't have to work on, on the, the soul spiritual aspect because they're very in tuned. Um, so I may work on lifestyle, you know, things like proper sleep, uh, goes very under the radar when it comes to health in general, but in cancer care, proper sleep, when you eat, uh, the type of foods you're eating, things like that are, are very important. But I do find that I don't give my story unless it's sort of called out for me. But when people find that I have been through a cancer diagnosis myself, the look on their face changes. So Mm -hmm. it's not just me giving them book knowledge and clinical studies. And it's, it's me talking as a compatriot of a person who has gone through the cancer process. So they identify with me because they know I know the fear that they have. And a lot of times this is maybe the biggest thing that I can do for them. Um, They, they see that I have come through my treatments. They see my health, they see how I have done it. And then I work with them from that angle, but there's so many lifestyle things. Um, You know, exercise is key. Uh, and depending again on the person who's sitting in front of me, some want the studies, some want, you know, the knowledge and some just want, just tell me what to do. Yeah. And, and that's what a coach does. It, it, it's, you know, I can't do, uh, you know, a classroom of people because what one person may need, the other person is there and vice versa. So yeah. I think as a coach in a cancer sphere, I listen and then I can, React. That's why when I see somebody, it's a two a two visit uh, process. So I'll take an hour, an hour and a half to go through them, their history, their lifestyle, all that sort of thing, and then I take a week or so and I really hone in on what I think this person needs. And um, although it's all you know, 
science-based and researched. It does have a lot of intuition on my part. And, and I like to try and teach people to go back to themselves and, you know, really hone in on their bodies and, and, and go back to their own intuition. So yeah. coaching is a little different. Yeah, than, there's, than there's, actual nutrition. There's so much nuance to it, and even even though I'm not technically a coach, I've been I've been do, doing work with, uh, I mean, a lot of or, a lot of uh, sort of orthopedic issues, but also a lot of stress and and trauma and re, you know recovery work, and, and and a lot of recovery work actually as it as it relates to cancer, and a lot of a lot of times you're 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 you know you're you're seeing someone at a very specific point, so to sort of backtrack and sort of understand this person's process takes a while. You can't just, you know, that's not all going to come through an intake. And, mm-hmm. and so you, you, you come up with a, a strategy and then you just keep modifying as you go along, I think. You do because, you know, ideally this person is also progressing. So mm-hmm. as they're progressing, as you said, the nuances change. And as they're progressing, we're continually honing. It just as, you know, the big picture uh, I will prepare somebody for treatment in the nutritional front um, and lifestyle adjustments. And then as they're going through treatment and then come through treatment into the prevention phase, that's a different ball of wax, not mm-hmm. just um, executing nutrition and lifestyle and supplements and so forth. But there is also an emotion that a survivor has that you have to be very in tune to. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, when cancer is done as far as the medical treatments, there is an integration back into, you know, regular life, if that's the right word, that takes some time. The thing that I think a lot of people don't realize, and I understand this maybe a little more from having gone through a chronic pain period, is that you kind of still, even though you, you've basically, you know, say beaten the cancer or they, they're, they're not finding any, any more in your body, you're, you're, still, you're still living with this fear that, that sticks with mm-hmm. you for a long time and all the emotions that, that go along with it. And so any, anything that pops up for you, any, any health issue suddenly sets off our, our fight or flight. And now we're sort of, you know, racing and don't know why we're racing and, and to have support. I, I even think after, you know, we, we go through it sometimes is, is even more crucial and not, not that we don't need all the support going through it and all the allopathic help, but I think that that the ball gets dropped a lot of times in terms of the the mental emotional support as as we're you know actually getting well. I think so too, and I think that that's the biggest area of concern uh, in in this field is that there isn't enough support for survivors. I remember when I got through my treatment, they they said, "Okay, ring your bell. You've had your last treatment." And I looked around and saw everybody else who was still going through, and I thought, "I can't do that," yeah. you know. And and it's and then I was gone. And then come back, you know, in six months, we'll do a follow up. And um, I had been at the hospital for, you know, it was a, a year's worth of my life. And then all of a sudden it was off you go. And that was it. And it is an extremely, you know, not only do you feel that every little, you know, itch and scratch and, and thing that happens initially is that is that the cancer coming back, but I find that the doctors react that way too. So uh, if yeah. you're, you know, if you go back, you've got a cold or you've got um, one of the big ones is a urinary tract infection for mm-hmm. women. Well, you know, you're given a level maybe of um, examination far beyond if you'd never had cancer. Yeah. So, you know, that also can be alarming and people need to understand that the doctors don't want to miss anything. Right. 
but you may be tested more than if you didn't have this past history. So all these things, uh, you talk about stress. Stress is huge. Stress is huge th- through the whole piece because you know it's my belief that no matter how solid this nutrition plan is and you're, you're exercising and you're sleeping and everything, if you're under stress, things just, if, if you can't manage the stress, um, physiologically, your nutrition components won't, you, you, the nutrition won't be absorbed as well. Yeah. Things just won't work as well. Yeah. So it starts from the head down. And um, this is a, a tough place to get into for cancer patients, but a necessary one uh, when you're, you're coaching someone along. Do you have you worked? So my my background right now, I mean, what I what I do the most work with is craniosacral therapy, um, and I I consider it to be very similar in in terms of stress management strategy to something like acupuncture, because it really does kind of help just balance the overall system response to things, you know, and 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 what I what I think is going on a lot of times with people when they have those kinds of those stress responses, is that. You have all these different kinds of endocrine endocrine system functions and all these different things that are basically communicating things back and forth to the brain and also putting out fires as needed. But what what happens when the alarm system is set off is that everything overreacts. And I've I've you know I've been brought into a lot of cases basically for that kind of support. Do you do you use anything like that, or do you have do you have relationships with people that you're working with? Uh, when, when you're doing coaching? I, if, if the mental aspect is beyond my scope, I will refer out. Okay. I, I, I'm very, I keep very tight within my scope and I don't want to, uh, I'm not a psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes I will need to refer out to somebody or I'll refer out to maybe a, a TMC doctor, um, who can do work with, uh, acupuncture or things like that yeah. to help relieve the stress. But I, I stick, I, I don't want to lead somebody astray. Right. And I, there are levels of, um, there are levels of stressors and emotional impact that are beyond my scope. Yeah. So I will definitely refer out. And I think it's important to, uh, you know, I, I, to do what I do well, I can't do everything. And I think part of being actually a good coach is having that network to refer out to. That's important. Yeah. And cancer coaches will do many things. You know, cancer coaches have come from various backgrounds and they will structure their practice according to their background. Mm -hmm. So there are cancer coaches who are doctors who just want to know more of an integrative uh, appeal and can walk through maybe the medical aspect with a cancer patient. Um, I'm nutrition. So I, you know, my focus is on nutrition and the most healthful diet and lifestyle um, for a cancer patient. There are cancer coaches that will go with their, uh, their cancer patient, their, their client to doctor's appointments and mm. some people need that. You know, yeah. some people don't have somebody. I was fortunate. Uh, my husband came with me to every appointment. And a cancer patient, what I have found and what I know personally, they're looking for indications, positive indications of survivorship. They're looking for the positive. Or the other side, they're looking if the doctor is, is you know, giving any indication that something is not right. And then once those two or three avenues are are set in the, the patient's mind, that other set of ears is taking in the rest. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of people, sadly, um, relationships suffer uh, when going through cancer yeah. uh, care. It's very difficult on a relationship. It can be very difficult. A lot of people are alone. 
So there's a, a void there that cancer uh, coaches can fill if that's what they want to gear their practice is to go listen, you know, reiterate what the doctor has said. It's also extremely vital. Yeah, and and to help the re- the relationship if the person's married, to you know just just be that support person and not have everything fall on on their spouse. Yeah, and you don't know how you're going to react, and you need to let it play out. And if you have to grab more support, then you grab it. Yeah. Um, everyone is not equipped the same way to to deal with pressures and stress, and a cancer diagnosis is one of the toughest. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about the about the nutrition part of things. Then, where, where, where do you where do you start with with people, with with that kind of thing? I know I know microbiome work has been kind of your your, mm-hmm. your passion. So, I start there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do. I start there. I think that the research uh, is tending to support um, that. I, I think that. I, I tend to stay away from fad diets unless I'm using them therapeutically. And there are diets that I will use therapeutically within um, within the sphere of what I do. So, for instance, um, a cancer patient who is going into chemotherapy. Now, there are parameters depending on the type of chemotherapy, depending on the health of the cancer patient. Mm-hmm. Um I think that there can be many cancer patients who are healthy that are fighting a cancer disease. Um, So I might use the ketogenic diet therapeutically for a couple of days beforehand and then afterward. Um, But in general scopes, to me, the best diet, if I can do it on a a basis of generalities, is the Mediterranean approach. Um, I don't... I tell people, you know, initially it's definitely no processed foods, no sugars. Mm -hmm. And then I go through the diet of why healthy fats are important, why the right amount of protein is important. But again, I need to understand where they're coming from. I need to know if if they've been a huge meat eater and pulling meat out of their diet 100% is going to add a stress to their life that that they, they don't need as well as this diagnosis. I won't do that. And this may set me apart from some of the pundits on, on the internet where it's, you must do this, you must do that. Clinically, I find that I have to work backwards. If someone is under such stress with this diagnosis, I can't change their diet dramatically. I think a lot of studies have basically shown that, that doing diets that, that cause great swings are, can actually cause more problems. So, you know, people who, who go through like extreme fasts mm-hmm. after not doing something or, or, you know, take a, take something completely out of their diet, like fat or, or, you know, if they're been eating meat, taking that completely out to start can be problematic for the body. It doesn't know, it doesn't know how to react to the new stuff that's well, coming in. Well, it doesn't. Um, and then there's this whole issue of going through treatment. Uh, you don't want to be detoxifying the body. Uh, overwhelmingly detoxifying the body. We want to support the detoxification systems 100%, but we do not want to push the body into over-detoxifying going through chemotherapy. That can be extremely dangerous. But the other big component um, that I think is missing in a lot of the eyes of, of the profession is that food is far more than just the nutrients that it provides. When I was going through my own care, sitting down to eat was a break. 
in the day. I sat with my family. We ate. If, if I am forcing somebody to look at their plate as another protocol piece, mm-hmm. you're taking away some of the joy. And sometimes joy is hard to find yeah. uh, when you're going through cancer. So I have to balance that. I think that's my opinion. I think that that's a huge piece. And again, if you're sitting down and you're able to chat and you're enjoying a good whole foods dinner, you've got some time where you're not thinking about what you're going through. And that respite from from the the diagnosis can be so beneficial Mm -hmm. health-wise. all these things have to come into play. I had one man, I always tell the story because it sticks out so much in my mind. He was an elderly gentleman and his wife was a huge support for him. And, you know, she had gone on the internet, she had Googled all the things that she was, you know, that were supposed to be for a cancer diet, filled her fridge with vegetables, lots of greens. She juiced everything. And he came in and he sat down and he, he didn't look at her and he said to me, you better tell her that if she doesn't put different food in that fridge, if every time I open it, all I see are leaves, I'm going to stop eating. Hmm. And, you know, it it was comical looking back, but he was serious. Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) He was not enjoying eating at all. We got to remember that eating and and food is, is a tradition. It's a culture. It's, it's, it's far more, as I said, than just what you're putting into your mouth. So I really, um, put that into my plans when I'm talking with people. The other, the other thing too is, and I, I've, I've read a couple of studies, but just clinically I've seen, you know, people that have say, come to Canada from an Eastern part of the world and their diet has been changed so dramatically. Mm-hmm. I, I think that can be very, very much an impact on, on, um, on their health. I'm not making a causative link. It's just something that I seem to have noticed I want to take them back to where their microbiome has flourished, you know, what they were eating when they were younger. Mm-hmm. And I'll return to those foods, get them back to where their culture is. And again, I'm saying all of this within the framework of a whole foods diet. Um, right. I think that's important as well. But the, the science and the studies for the health of the gut are there. Uh, I, I just like to, to branch out in my thought processes as going beyond the science and to maybe some of the whys, but definitely for, for increasing the immune, the immune system, decreasing inflammation to the processing of, of certain vitamins. Uh, this is all, uh, the microbiome is key and, uh, it's greatly impacted through cancer and especially through cancer treatment. So mm-hmm. I'm just trying to support that as best as I can. It's important for the detoxification. It, it just has so many functions that uh, it, it needs to be supported. It, it's interesting what you say about people who have who have emigrated from from different places. I've seen I've seen some suggestion of this, but actually I've seen very little research that sort of backs mm-hmm. up the the. I mean, I mean, it's probably all the big diseases, heart disease and cancer, and and uh, you know. Uh, diabetes issues that that seem to be affecting immigrant populations, you know, at 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 least the same rate or higher than than Americans, and and I, I would love to see more research done on that. Well, observation many times uh, precedes the the clinical science That's that comes true. out of it, and again, it's going back to that intuition. 
And, and having people, putting these thoughts into people's heads is doing no harm. You know, if you can say, listen, before you came here, mm-hmm. what were you eating? And yeah. then what are you eating now? Let's try and, and go back a bit, see if we can support. There's no harm in doing that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that maybe the research will start to come out in that area. So as I said, I recall reading one study, but um, I guess that's not where the research is important right now. So that might be. These observational things clinically, I think, are extremely valid, though. Many observations. And I think we all have a weakness. I think each of yeah, us has yeah. some weaknesses, and maybe it manifests in cancer. Maybe it manifests in heart disease. Um, it's, it's just... It's just how we support our systems, how we uh, attend to those weaknesses. And, and really, when the body is giving us signs and symptoms, we need to understand and read those and react. Yeah. And that's a big thing. Yeah. So, so for, for people who don't really understand the, what, a, what microbiome means, could, do you have a, a kind of a short working definition that can kind of help people understand what that is? Yeah, the microbiome, I mean, the, the majority of it is in, in the gut, um, but we have microbiome in our mouth, our nose, our eyes, the breast tissue, uh, the vaginal canal. Uh, it's it's the, um, the bacteria, the fungus, the viruses that all live inside us that uh, when working well and when supported well with nutrition and diet and lifestyle perform extremely important functions. We couldn't exist without it. And, and is there testing that can be done, say, if you're working with someone with cancer to sort of understand where they're at? With, with their with, microbiome? There, yeah. are, there are several microbiome tests on the market. Unfortunately, I can only tell people about them. Um, I, I'm not, it's out of my scope yeah, to yeah. test people myself. Um, more and more are coming. One test that I'm um, that I do really like uh, without beyond the microbiome sphere, because again, within the microbiome, you know, we're pulling out strains that do this and pulling out strains that do that, but there's also cross relationships. It's such yeah. a huge area. It's, so yeah. if, if perhaps you don't have one particular strain of bacteria, another strain may be picking up the slack and doing the same thing. Yeah. So I don't know if there is a, you know, we know that some of the bacteria you want that's beneficial for you, but there's not like, well, you need to have this amount in this ratio. Again, everybody's different. I do like functional genetic testing. I think that tells us quite a bit and helps helps to support um, the genetic code that we have. And then through that, you know, the microbiome, we can we can adjust what we eat to toward the whole genetic panel. Um, again, this is a functional test. We can see, for instance, if um, women, uh, how they metabolize their estrogen and if there is a possible way to support better metabolism or there's, I, I think that these genetic tests can go a long way mm. to, to giving us more information. Um, but again, we're broadening out into other areas that people are really specializing in. So I will refer people to these tests that I find are valid. Um, again, in dealing with cancer patients, Testing is something that I try not to do a whole bunch of. Yeah. They are being tested a lot, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's not it's not a key focus of mine. But that particular the the functional genomics testing I do find can be valid because it will also uh, do genetic testing for ability to handle stress. You know whether mm. your dopamine is cleared quickly. So those things you know it, it's beneficial to know if a person is more inclined to go into a depression genetically, uh, 
uh, that might be good to know that I can support them with. But as I said, um, I focus on nutrition and lifestyle uh, supplements that can support the person. Um, and I'll go into more of a, a spiritual soul searching aspect if that's where they want to go. Uh, the, the testing, I can offer uh, suggestions if they want to do it. I do get people who like to be tested, who like to test themselves often. Oftentimes, these are people who are in the, the prevention phase. Uh, and we can go down that route. So in, in terms of in terms of lifestyle, are you suggesting, you know, just con- considering basic movement? Because obviously we don't want to stress the system too much with exercise. But I, I mean, we're also probably looking at what they were doing prior to their diagnosis, I'm, I'm guessing. Yes. Again, that's where they've come from. Uh, studies are coming out now. You know, years ago it was stay quiet, keep, you know, be, be still, rest. Uh, now, you know, the studies are moving toward greater movement. And if you are, you don't want to put too much stress, you know, you're not going to train for a marathon, but you want to move, you know, you can lift some weights. But again, it, depending where you are, this is where I'll tell people to go. People who can't move too much, I will say, have a ball in your hand and just squeeze. Hmm. I, 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 you know, I want to make sure that their blood is flowing. Chemotherapy can make blood a little bit thicker. Uh, cancer can increase the, the viscosity of blood. You want to make sure that people are moving to the best of their ability, massaging themselves if, if, they're, if they're bound uh, to sitting um, getting people move their legs for them, and then we graduate up from there. I want to make sure that fascia is moving. I want it to be malleable. I want great flexibility, so if they can be flexible and they can stretch out uh, all their muscles, this is all very, very important. Yeah. Um, and studies are going uh, where, you know, there are studies going into the impact of uh, rigid fascia. Uh, this is, again, a new area, but we want to keep things moving. It's very, very yeah. important. We want blood to circulate well. We want the lymphatics to be moving. We want to be able to to have our body detoxifying and repairing and proper sleep, exercise, nutrition. This is all important parts of that. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting because I in in my so so I've I've worked between movement arts basically, and and body work, and just with those two things, you know, a lot of what I'm really thinking about is what kind of flow we have going in, in all these systems. And, I, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of lucky because I get to work with, with I call it fascia or, or fascia. I <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not sure what the proper pronunciation <laughs> is. A, it, it, <laughs> it can go in any way, I think. But because when, when I'm working with the craniosacral system, which is the dural membrane system, that is kind of our deep layer of, of fascia that's housing the, the, the nervous system. Uh-huh. And and so I'm you know I'm I'm thinking about both from a circulatory system lymphatic system and then within the craniosacral system we have our our cerebrospinal fluid system, which includes the the what people are now starting to call the glymphatic system, which is our glial cells, uh-huh. and and their process of detoxification, and so you know I, I feel like I'm I'm kind of lucky because without any without any medicine I'm able to kind of tap into a lot of systems. And I see I see a lot of big change happen fairly quickly, and I, I can kind of choose sometimes depending on where a person comes in to see me, whether I'm going to start out with something that's very low force like craniosacral work, whether I'm going to do something a little you know you know higher force like doing some kind of massage work or trigger point therapy or something like that, or working specifically with fascia, and then I can also get them moving and start you know I, I do functional movement work with people, so basically retraining you know healthy movement patterns so that they can start doing things. With, with more ease. Well, we're meant to move. Uh, right. And, and you know, this day and age, we 
reduce it a lot. We, you know, have apps to get us to stand up and to drink water and everything. <laughs> Getting people back to, you know, it's to me when I look at what I do, a lot of it's not rocket science. Um, it's yeah, it's reacquainting people with healthy life, yeah. you know, and uh, we've we've lost that I think, and and I think it's so important, you know, even beyond cancer care. We need to go back to healthy living. You know, somebody we're talking about um, the blue zones and, and and all that, and you know these people are are living to uh, a ripe old age, not because they're running marathons and juicing and cleansing. It's because they're moving, they're eating whole foods, they're sleeping when they should sleep, and they have a community, and mm-hmm. that's also huge. Yeah. You know, having a community. This is a big piece to me that we've lost. Yeah, and and and. and this is a healthy life. And I think that we would see the level of chronic disease plummet if we got back to that. And yeah. I think people are, are striving for that now. I see such a change. I see people, yeah, I, I, I may be, um, I may have rose colored glasses on because the people I work with are striving for health. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do see things changing, sustainability of food, sustainability of clothing. I think that we're broadening out um, you know, beyond just looking at particular disease, see the impact that that living a healthy life can do, not just for ourselves, but for our community and for the world at large. I'm a very big into sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a, a key piece to our own health, our mind health, our environmental health, and, and the health of, of people at large. What we do impacts everybody. I, I agree. And I think we're fighting upstream a little bit right now with all those things. And, you know, I think we we're trying to get back to something that, and it's probably maybe we've been trying to get back to it from this since the '60s. I'm not sure how long maybe. how long we've been doing this for, but I, I think you're right. I think there's this there's this piece that's that's missing for a lot of people. The, the community part has come up a lot on the podcast, partly because I've I've directed that part, and because of the the work that I was kind of fortunate to be able to do. I, I lived in Brooklyn, New York, for 13 years, and was you know very fortunate to be part of a, a community and I, I you know my my family came from a small town in, in Iowa in the US and I think some of some of that rubbed off on me I think I looked I, I looked to community a lot of times for things and wasn't finding it when where I was I was living in Minneapolis at the time had a friend who moved to Brooklyn and and decided that I was looking for what they had there and I basically was able to kind of you know fit myself into a community and become very involved in the community and, you know, set up, set up a, a storefront business there to serve people in the community. And I still go back. <laughs> I'm still yeah. going, I still go back there 10 times a year. So I think it's, I think it's an incredibly important part of my life. And it's, you know, it really does, it's connected to the part that you're talking about that I think a lot of people kind of want to avoid or, or are, are remiss to, to even give consideration to, which is this sort of spiritual, soulful part of our lives. We can call it whatever we want to. And maybe those words are just a little too heavy for some people, but that's that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about our, our interconnectedness. I agree. I agree. Uh, and unfortunately, um, the the generation, you know, my kids, well, they see it in our family. My my husband's Italian and they, they always have had a huge family support and um, but a lot of people don't even know what community is. Uh, you know, the younger kids don't know what community is. And I think that's reflective in all these support groups that come up in all areas of, you know, there's cancer support groups, there are support groups for everything, for mm-hmm. every everything. And I think, you know, without thinking, putting a, a name on it, 
why these support groups are are so successful is because people are looking for uh, a like-minded group for whatever reason to sit and talk to. And and that's because we haven't been bringing up our kids that way. Yeah. Are are you, are you able to um, do work with people virtually at this point? Uh, If someone finds you online? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can do, I do work virtually when I'm sitting with someone in front of me, I have a a book that I've put together. So initially after we talk about, um, about, you know, what, what their concerns are, you know, some people will come in and their concern is, yes, I have cancer, but I need to lose weight. And we'll talk about things like that. And then I have a book that I give them um, that I've put together, just a whole bunch of resources that was born of questions that were asked to me. And I thought, you know, I'm asked these same questions frequently. So I'll, I'll put them in a book um, and I give that to them. So if I'm doing anything um uh, on the on the computer uh, you know by Skype or whatever I'll email a lot of the information out to them um but again I think I think what's important uh in the first part of of my my conversation with people is is to make them feel safe uh to give them um a, a little bit of a sanctuary along with the actual dissemination of information uh it, it, Unfortunately, there's so many people with cancer that, uh, you know, going to your doctor's appointments, there's not a lot of time to talk and get clarity. So, um, you know, I'll spend as much time as needed trying to answer questions like that and, and give support where, um, where they need it. And, and, is, and I know you did, you did kind of a specific training for, for uh, cancer coaching. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a professional cancer coaches um, certification, right? Yes, and 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 are, are, is that uh, North American? Is it is it all across the world at this point? Do you have connections that you make with people in different places? It has moved out of Canada now. The founder Jeanette Marshall, uh, I believe, is is solely in the United States, and it's the National Association of Professional Cancer Coaches. Okay, uh, I know that within Canada now there are certain nutrition schools that will offer. Uh, pieces of cancer care nutrition wise. Um, I don't know of any certification. I've been asked that actually a few times. I don't know of any certification processes right now in Canada. Do you stay connected with them in some, in some ways? Is there kind of an ongoing support once you've gone through it or how, how does it work in case anybody, I'm just thinking, I I feel like there, this, this could be a great need out there that's not getting filled. And I, I do have quite a few health people who listen to this podcast and thought it might be one of those things to kind of put out there. Jeanette Marshall is the the founder, okay. uh, and again, she's doing this in the states. And looking at National Association of Professional Cancer Coaches might lead you to here to her. Um, we uh, we do have a Facebook group, and things are posted there. Okay, uh, I I have a lot of of connections within the cancer care community, um, and again, I'm always researching, and uh, I approach scientists, and I like um, circadian rhythms, chronobiology is something that uh, I have a real interest in. So I will actually go to doctors and scientists and and get, um, you know, hit them up for some information and so forth. Um, So that's where I have my network and I work with a wonderful uh, naturopathic oncologist who does some great work in uh, botanicals Mm -hmm. and again, very science-based. So I have a broad range um, that I that I pull information. I'm like I, I, I love I love learning. I, I love uh, all these things that other people 
what works for one person won't work for somebody else necessarily. People have found great uh, remedy in many, many types of, um, I call it complementary, not alternative care, because I like to work from a complementary side. Yeah, me too. And I think that uh, what works for one, as I said, may not work for another, but if I have knowledge of many different things, uh, I can usually land on something that's beneficial as far as, uh, you know, beyond the nutrition piece. And and the, the book you were talking about that you give to to people you're working with is that the same as I, I noticed on your website you have a you have an ebook on there is that the same book? No, that's different. Okay. I have a, I have it uh, for for clients the book that I have and it just walks through different nutrition. There are a few recipes in there. It has a shopping list, oh, uh, healthy nice. fats, high fiber, explaining about the the need for uh, all the macros in the diet. Uh, I'm very big on fiber. I think it's the missing uh, nutrient in, in a diet, if you want to call it a nutrient. So mm-hmm. we talk a lot about fiber and its impact on the microbiome. We talk about pre and probiotic foods. I give a list of fermented foods. And then once um, I've gone over sort of a general cancer diet, I, I take their particular cancer. Uh, I research uh, nutritional information on uh, studies that will uh, have gone into particular foods within that cancer. So for instance, um, uh, a simple one is um, a man suffering from prostate cancer. Lycopene has been well studied to be beneficial mm-hmm. for that person. So I will hone in on different areas of food, but and I will separate uh, the protocol into you know the microbiome, support for the liver, many different areas, but uh, supporting, again, that proper insulin management. A lot of the foods will cross over, and this is where uh, you know, exercise for managing insulin, um, things like that mm-hmm. will come into play as well. And that's how I do it. But the book is, is specifically for, uh, the people that I'm working with. The mm-hmm. one online is, is something that is, is free to everybody. Okay. That's, uh, prevention and natural remedies for, uh, going through cancer care. And, and tell me then the, the, the website, uh, address again. My website is kathybiasse.com. Okay. And I'll, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes too. So if anyone's interested and uh, this has been so informative. I, I, I've, I've been kind of looking, to, I haven't had anybody on the show yet who's done cancer coaching. And I, when I started hearing that this existed, I was, I was very excited. So thank you so much for taking the time to do this and, and have this conversation Oh, my pleasure, with Jeremy. Me. I appreciate it. Kathy Biasse, folks. Having done a lot of work with families going through many different kinds of health crises in my own career, one thing that really resonated with me in this conversation is that as Kathy states, we are all equipped in different ways. We bring our experiences, skills, mindset, and beliefs to this very specific moment, a moment that is loaded with fear, dread, a sense of betrayal by our bodies, guilt for anything we might feel we could have done better to influence the situation, and concern for how this will affect our loved ones. Cancer coaches bring neutrality to a very charged time period helping to sort out and prioritize each unique situation. They serve a vital role in helping patients and their families focus constructively on what they have control over through treatment, into recovery, and can even provide ongoing support as needed for the long-term effects uh, that people struggle with even after cancer has gone into remission. People like Kathy don't always get recognized like they should, but that is not the reason they do it. And it is my hope that this kind of integrative experience becomes the norm and that people like Kathy become the standard for care. Let me know what you thought of this topic in conversation. You can email me at jeremy at highwaytohealthpodcast.com. 
And if you have a guest that you think I should have here on the show, please reach out to me and let me know who they are and why you think I should have them on. And don't forget to check out Highwood Health Podcast on Facebook and Instagram for daily inspiration. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Nurse Wellness Podcast, hosted by Wendy Garvin Mayo, focuses on the power of stress management and how it's foundational to being your best, doing your best, and giving your best. There's a wonderful episode that you should check out called Letting Go, where Wendy Garvin Mayo shares six strategies to release control and manage stress effectively. Check out Nurse Wellness Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.